Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. So I, I, as I was thinking about this year in this series, it's like, I, I mean, how many different ways do you talk about Christmas? Um, so I'm a few years into this, and it's just like, I don't, there's nothing new. The story stays the same. It ends the same every single time. But what I wanted to do was like just really move down at um, kind of a base level to go, like, we're so familiar with this whole story. We're so familiar with so many of the, the narratives, but there is a massive why question that we so easily move past. And if you grew up in it like me, it can become so familiar that you just move on by it. But this whole idea that Christians believe that literally, like legitimately, God became one of us. And again, we're so familiar that we can just move on by that. But in a world where the, all, everybody was trying to become a God, like divine Julius Caesar, divine Claudius, that their whole attempt and goal was to become a God. And then you have God whose whole goal was to become a man. And fully God, but fully man, to condescend into humanity and into human flesh, to feel what we feel, to see what we see, to experience what we experience. I mean, I don't have to tell you this probably, but that's, that's unlike any other religion. That's unlike what any other God would be described as. And then um, one of his closest guys, John, sits down at the end of his life to really um, describe what he saw and, and what he experienced with the whole Jesus come to earth thing. And by the way, like if you've got questions, I love the story of the disciples. John believed in Jesus, then he didn't believe, then he was like, I'm not sure, and then he believed again. So if that's been your faith journey, you're in great company, all of Jesus' initial followers did the same thing, and then John finally is exiled by the emperor Domitian to the island Patmos, and he had lots of time to think. And on that island as an old man, now after the resurrection, believing that Jesus is who he said he was, he starts to write about what he experienced in Jesus coming to flesh. And there's this famous verse, and he just writes this in John 1:14. And the word, talking about Jesus, became flesh, like became a human being and dwelt or literally hung out, or the Greek word, pitched a tent among us to experience what we experienced, to move in our direction, to feel what we feel, and no other God. No other religion had ever claimed to do that. And Christians believe that he spent about 30 of his years, and you know this, as a kind of undercover carpenter. We don't know how good he was. I mean, he was God, but he was still in human flesh. None of his furniture survived, so maybe it was the equivalent of first century Ikea furniture. We don't know. Like, nothing survived that Jesus made. But he's 30 years, he's a carpenter, and then three years, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher, and then again, like we all know the end of the story, he allows himself to die the most degrading death imaginable. And so you've got this whole story couched in a God who is willing to come to planet earth and was willing to be one of us and yet was treated as less than one of us. And the question that you cannot move too quickly by is like, why? Because we're familiar with the story, but I'm sure like, at some level, all of his disciples, and maybe Jesus himself at, at certain points was going, can't we do it a different way? 
Like, like, can we come up with a different way to do this? And the Sunday school answer to the question of why is, well, Jesus came to die, and that's true, but like, there's more to it than that. It's like when you got called to the principal's office and you walk in and you saw your dad there, and you're like, why are you here? And he's like, to take you home? And you're like, I know, but that's not the, like, why are you actually here? Because there's another answer behind the answer. Like, why did he actually come behind just the Sunday school answer of he came to die? And the very first reason is that Jesus came to planet Earth to demonstrate and to communicate what God the Father was like. Like, I just wanna make this point because this is so, so important, and I'll try to unpack this. But Jesus didn't claim to have the best explanation of God. Jesus showed up, and this may be kind of offensive, Jesus showed up and claimed to be the best explanation of God. In fact, again, John, I'll quote him, uh, he, he talks um, or he writes about Jesus one day, he's with his initial followers, like his 12 disciples, and he says this, no one has ever seen God, this is Jesus talking, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father, and these, these words are so huge, and has made him known, that literally Jesus has explained and demonstrated and communicated who God is. If you wanna know what God is like, all of it is wrapped up in Jesus. Like that's why this is important, that's why this is a big deal, that's why we talk about this, and at some level all of humanity is curious about God, even if you're not sure what you believe. Like if there is a God, I wanna know what God is like. Now here's the only thing. We look in all kinds of directions to try to figure out God or to explain God. And most of them will not give us complete answers about who God is. Like the, the, the number one ways that we wanna look in, in terms of trying to figure out God or put meaning around God is our circumstances. But here's the reality, I think, and if you're not a Jesus follower, I'm so glad you're listening and watching like so many of you do, but I think all of us could relate to this. All of us have misinterpreted our circumstances at one time or another. Like there's something that you thought was going to be amazing, like this is going to improve your life in a great way, and then you get seven years down the road and realize that was anything but a, a good thing for your life. Or you walk through something that was hell at the time thinking there is no good way that anything good can come out of this, and then 10 years down the road, you would not choose it, but it's one of the things that has shaped you and done more good in your life than anything else. Anybody got that story? Like we often misinterpret our circumstances. So when you try to find God or explain God by your circumstances, most of the time you misinterpret God. Like a lot of the times in our circumstances, especially that are bad or many of maybe the difficult circumstances you're walking through right now, those are the times where we start to draw bad conclusions about God. That because of what I'm going through, maybe God's angry, God's absence, God, God is apathetic. But my point is just this. If you try to just look at your circumstances to explain or to figure out God, it will always be incomplete. Because in many cases, we have no idea what God's doing in our circumstances. The other thing that we want to look to over and over again is our religious tradition. And some of you, especially skeptical, you're going to relate with this. Uh, you can grow up in religious tradition that has very little to do with God or very little to do with an accurate picture of God. So some of you grew up with like prosperity theology God, and all that is is if I just do this, God's gonna come through, or if I have enough faith, God's gonna change, God's gonna give me health, wealth, prosperity, and then real life happened, and you realize that doesn't measure up with the view of God that you were given, so God must not exist, and so now you've walked away from God because of your religious tradition. Only problem is your religious tradition had nothing to do with what God actually said. 
Or you grew up in this legalistic environment that said, like, if I do this, then God's gonna be pleased. And so you spent your entire life trying to earn God's favor, realizing, like, that doesn't work. That's never what God said. Or you grew up in a church tradition where you got bumped out or saw a friend get bumped out because of divorce or they were gay or they were struggling through some dysfunction and just the decree was you're, you're, just, you're on the outside of this, you gotta go, you can't be a part of this thing. And you walked away from all of it and you've drawn conclusions about God that may not even be right conclusions about God because you're looking to your religious tradition to explain God. But I'm telling you, religious tradition always falls short. Or for some of us, we're trying to explain God by looking from within. Here's the only problem with that. Within is always limited to what is within. So if you're trying to explain God by what's inside of you, and I'm gonna try to find God in here, it will always face extraordinary limits because all you got within is what you have within. And then the fourth thing that we try to use to explain God is nature. And nature is amazing, and nature is beautiful, and nature communicates God, and nature is, at some level, God's handiwork. But here's the thing, like nature is not what nature is supposed to be. It is beautiful from a distance, it is violent up close. Like you will not find justice in nature. You will not find compassion in nature. So if you're like, I'm trying to find and discover and know who God is through nature, you will always come up short because nature comes up short. Nature does not fully reveal who God is because nature does not reveal the justice and the compassion of God and survival of the fittest. And so it's why God the Father basically says when Jesus starts his ministry, he's baptized by John the Baptist, he's coming up out of the water, my paraphrasing, he's like, if you wanna know what God is like, watch my boy. If you wanna know what God's like, look at my boy. If you wanna know what God is like, make sure you pay close attention to everything that my boy says because all of God, how he works, how he operates, how he feels about you, how he responds in any circumstance, it is all wrapped up in Jesus. So if you wanna know what I'm like, it is found in Jesus. And it's why Jesus was able to say, listen, if you've seen me, this is a huge statement, then you've seen the Father. That is insane, unless it's true. But Jesus is like, I've come as the full representation of who God is in human flesh. And you can find clues about God everywhere, but if you wanna know God, there's one-stop shop. It's found in Jesus. Jesus is gonna reveal who God is, which means one of the most helpful things that you can do if you're new in a journey with Jesus or you've been following Jesus for 30 years but feel like you haven't picked up much steam, you should go to the gospels like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and over and over again, you should be looking for clues as you look at the life of Jesus, you watch the life of Jesus, what that tells you about who God is. Because how Jesus responds, what Jesus did, how Jesus interacted, I'm telling you, it is the full manifestation of everything that God is, and it's why Jesus came. And there's one interaction in particular I wanna look at where you get several of these clues, and I, then I would love for you to like just do this on your own. But you get several clues about the Father. One day Jesus is with his guys, and he's, you know, for about three years, he traveled everywhere, and they traveled everywhere with him. And there's this really powerful interaction, it's one of my favorite, where Jesus comes up on this guy who's been struggling, who has a disability, and immediately from every side you get terrible theology. Like nobody actually knows how God's gonna respond, what God's gonna do, how God feels, which is the whole reason Jesus was there. And in John chapter nine, verse one, here's how the narrative went down. It says this, Jesus went along and saw a man who had been blind from birth. 
And here's the thing, like, okay, blind from birth, I'm sure you could, you know, put yourself in those shoes at some level, though we can't really understand. But in their society, what you have to understand is not just the physical disability. This guy was marginalized by society. This guy could not earn a living. There was, there was no economic anything available to him. He was on the outside of the whole religious system, no fault of his own, but in their view, like if, if, you're, if you are struggling with a disability, it's because you know, something went wrong with you and God. And so now you are marginalized for the rest of your life. This guy was born blind. That's all he's ever known. He's been on, on the outside of all of society. In verse two, his disciples asked him, talking about Jesus. And I love the boldness of this question. Like they're not even thinking about there may be other options. There may be other things we should consider. They're just like, okay, um, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? Is that like, tell us why he's born blind. Because we know somebody went off the rails. We know somebody sinned. We know like somebody had a hand in this. So was it his parents or was it him? And this is like the first century equivalent of karma that has followed us all the way to today. There's an incredible book um, by um, a lady that I just forgot as I was about to tell you who she was, should have wrote that down. Uh, she wrote an incredible book, um, and I'm stalling because I'm thinking I'm gonna remember it, but I'm not, and she talks about the fact that in every single one of us, like whether we actually hold to it or not, all of us have a little prosperity theology in us. When things start to go off the rails, no matter how much we'd go, no, you know, it's, just, it's a broken world and just because I pray it or because I'm faithful doesn't mean that everything's gonna work out and God's gonna do it. And yet, when we get into really difficult circumstances, one of the, most first, one of the first things we do is, okay, God, wh why is this happening? Why, how do I deserve this? Why haven't you intervened in this? What's going wrong? What did I do wrong? And immediately you move to this weird form of prosperity, theology, karma, whatever, that because I've been faithful here, Here's what God owes me. And the fact that it's not working out right must mean I didn't do something right. And I'm telling you, it's followed us all the way from the beginning where you're in that place. And come on, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, where you're struggling maybe right now. And there's that question in the back of your mind, is somehow my suffering my fault? And I'm not talking at immediate cause and effect of sow and reap, like I did this, there's consequences. We just know that's how the world works. I'm just talking about general, I'm walking through suffering and I'm wondering what I did. I'll never forget a really good friend of mine, his daughter for now 10 years, I've followed since birth, she's struggled with all kinds of different physical conditions that they still can't figure out 10 years in. And this guy loves and follows Jesus with all his heart, but I'll never forget probably five years in, him looking at me with, his, with tears in his eyes going, I just don't know what I did. And I thought, you didn't do anything. But there's that question that moves to the forefront of our mind to like, why do I deserve this? Or is somehow pain and uncertainty and disability an indicator of God's concern or God's interest in my life? And I'm just telling you, I don't care how great your theology is, there's moments where you're faced with that in the dark nights of your soul. And here's what I love about this. Jesus in this moment goes out of his way to dispel that myth forever. And Jesus says, I love this, I think he's like eye contact. John, eye contact, neither. The answer to your question, like who sinned? Was it his parents? Was it him? Neither. The answer is none of those. This man 
nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened. And again, Jesus is going, listen, I just want to begin to unravel for you that pain and punishment by itself is not evidence that God somehow ticked off. It's evidence that the world broke and Jesus is like, in a few short months, I am going to die the most horrible death imaginable on the cross and I'm gonna take all the sin and all the punishment on my body, which is gonna free up humanity going forward because the moment you place your faith and trust in Christ, you don't ever have to worry about punishment again because punishment was taken at the cross. And this isn't a sign that I've done something. This is a sign that something happened in the Garden of Eden and sin has infested the world and one day Jesus is gonna make it right again. Again, but in the midst of the pain and the suffering, because Jesus came to planet earth, he says to you and I, I know and I'm with you. That's the message of the gospel. And so Jesus says, neither this man or his parents sinned, but this happened. And this is so emotionally unsatisfying because when Jesus says this, nobody goes, okay, I'm good. Thanks. We'll go our way. Like this boy who's been born blind is like, okay, I just needed to hear this. It doesn't change anything except maybe how you view God. Here's what Jesus says. This happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him, in this guy who suffered his whole life with blindness. Meaning in God's economy, this is so huge, pain always has a purpose. Pain is always going somewhere. You would never choose it. Jesus isn't asking you to, but Jesus will always use it. Like the reality is, and some of you know this already, or some of you, you've experienced this or other people have experienced this, God sometimes chooses to display his power through our pain. And here's why that's really important, because that is not self-evident from nature. You are not gonna find that by looking from within. You're not even gonna get that from trying to interpret your own circumstances. You had to have somebody show up to tell you that. It's why Jesus came. And I'm just telling you, I get a front row seat over and over again with what I do. And it's just, part, like, honestly, I feel like, like God has to call you, but I feel like something has to be wrong with you to do what I do. Like, nobody ever calls up just go, hey, everything's going great. I just want to check in and tell you. Or, hey, my marriage is awesome. I just thought you'd want to hear that, you know, on a Monday. See ya. Like, nobody ever does that. I don't ever get that call. Like, it's just great, and I want to let you know it was great. It is, by the time it gets to me, everything is on fire, and somebody's life is flying out of control every single week. But over and over again, I watch people walk through extraordinary pain. I get a front row seat to it. And they walk through it and they would never choose it and they wrestle with God and there's no like bow at the end of it, but they walk through that with extraordinary confidence in God and you watch their life. And man, God could heal them in an instant, but it's almost as powerful. There's a wow factor to watching somebody who should not continue on in terms of human ideas and should not continue to maintain, maintain faith. And you watch them have just enough grace for one more day. And you watch them cling to faith with confidence that God's with me, God's for me. And it almost takes your breath away. I got a text um, a while back and I, I saved the text because I, I just, I thought it was so powerful and it, it just encompasses this whole idea. Somebody who's walking through cancer and their friend had just been diagnosed with cancer. They had been struggling with this for about five years and they sent this text. I'm still going through chemo. I'm getting a scan Monday and hope to hear really good news. And then this is just where they're like, this doesn't make sense. I just, all caps, hate for my, put her friend's name, to have to go through all this. I wish I could do cancer for everybody. After five years, I'm a pro by now. And I thought, that's ridiculous. 
Like that, that's crazy to walk through that with that kind, of, that kind of attitude. And I'm just telling you, when Jesus in this moment is talking to these people about how he's gonna use this guy's pain, this idea was unknown in an ancient world that there is pain and God is working. And those two things are not mutually exclusive. And in fact, it may be the epicenter of God's greatest activity in your life. And then he keeps going. There's something else, verse six. After saying this, he spit on the ground. I love this. Made some mud with his saliva, which this was unacceptable pre-COVID. Like, it, like this, is, this was gross no matter what area of time you live in. Made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. So he's like, <laughs> and he's like, I want you to go down to the, the you know, shalom and I want you to wash this off. And so the guy's standing there. I can't see, obviously. Somebody's thrusting their hands in his face. He knows they just spit in his eyes, basically. And he's like, I want you to go wash in the pool of shalom, which literally means meant scent. And so the man went and he washed and he came home seeing. Which I just feel like there should have been more given to this in the text because it's just like, just so moving on with the, and he could see and went home. Okay, this guy, like, he could, he's never seen his whole life. Like, he didn't see coming into that day. He hadn't seen 17 years before this. Like, he could not see anything. He could not make a living. He could not go to the temple. And in the next moment, after dude spits in his eyes and he goes and washes, he can see. There should just have been exclamation points or something right there. The dude came home seeing, and we just all need to realize that, verse eight. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And then some claimed that he was. Others says, they're arguing about this. Like, I think that God, this is the guy that shows up here every day and then we pretend that we don't see him and we move on to the temple because we can't really help him. Or or others are like, no, no, I don't think that's the guy. I think he just looks like that guy because there's no way. This guy's never been able to see in his life. So they're arguing and then it says, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, like the guy who was blind who can now see, said, I'm the man. Like, I'm the guy every week. It's a little awkward because I know you guys just ignore me. Like, I'm the guy, like I couldn't see and now I can see. Verse 10, they're like, then how were your eyes opened? And he replied, the man, because at this point, talking about Jesus, but Jesus is just a dude. Like this is a point in the progression where it's like, I I don't, I mean, there's something to him because he just spit on me and I can see, but I don't know what else is behind this guy. So he's just, he's just a man. They called Jesus, he made some mud and put it on my eyes and he told me to go to Shalom and wash. So I went and washed and, and then I could see. <laughs> this is such a stupid question. And then they look at the guy, he's been blind his whole life, he's been seeing for like 18 minutes and they're like, where is this man? And the guy's like, I don't know. I did not see where he went, dummy. So try a different question. Verse 13, they brought, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind, which is the law. So here's how it worked in ancient times. Like if somebody was healed, the Pharisees had to approve it. So you, you need a little blue check mark from the Pharisees to go, this is a legit miracle. This happened. If you want to be reinstituted in the temple, they had to sign off. So they had to look it over to go. He does look like he can see. I, if it, this is the same guy. This is legitimate. So he's good to go. But the Pharisees, according to their law, they always had to sign off to make sure that the miracle was valid. So verse 14, now the day on which Jesus had made the mud, and the music starts to change, and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Verse 15, therefore the Pharisees 
who asked him how he had received sight. He said, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I can see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. And the guy who's seeing has to be going like, uh, how do you know that? I mean, maybe, but how do you know that? And I love this, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Pause. He doesn't play by our rules because we have a God box and this is what God does and this is what God doesn't do and this is how God responds and this is how God acts and this is the time frame in which God acts and because of the fact that he did not fit into our God box and do it the way we know that God would do it, there is no way that this guy could be God because according to our theology, God always takes a day off and so there is no way that this could be God, which is why Jesus had to come. And it's why, and I love this, it's why he didn't give us more theology. But the others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs so they were so divided? And you have this, this whole group of people because you know, there's a crowd that's gathered and they're basically in between this tension of, do we go with what we see or do we go with what we think we know? Because there's a guy who couldn't see and now he can see, that's undeniable. But here's what we think we know about God. And we have to make a decision on what side we're gonna land on. So verse 17, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And again, the guy's gotta be a little bit annoyed. Okay, I've never laid eyes on the guy. I do not know. He didn't fix a broken leg. I was blind, now I see. I had mud in my eyes down to the pool of Shalom. I don't know what's wrong with you guys. So the man replied, and I think this is like a question because he doesn't know. He's a prophet? Maybe. This seemed like maybe what a prophet would do. And they still didn't believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents because they don't believe the kid. And I don't, you know, kid, this guy's probably in his 20s, but he doesn't care. I mean, he's looking around going, I can see. Like, I don't really care what anybody else thinks about this. And verse 19, is this your son, they asked? Is this the one who you say was born blind? Like, how is it that he can now see? We know he's your son, or we know he's our son, the parents answered. Let's just start with what we know. Like, we did give birth to this guy, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or how his eyes were open, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age, he'll speak for himself. And then verse 22, you ready for this? His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had, this is so important, who had already decided. Theology first, evidence about what God's actually doing second. And can I just tell you this, and I, this is just, just a side note, I gotta move, but can I just say this? Don't ever let anybody tell you what God will do. If you're in a place right now, and, and I can't fully explain this, so I don't know, but I, there's, a, there's a Holy Spirit that when you trust Christ, this is so weird and dwells, you don't have time, it's a whole nother message series that leads and directs. But I'm just gonna tell you, there, there's moments as difficult as this is to describe where God's gonna call you, God's gonna prompt you, God's gonna tell you to, to step out in faith in some area of your life. And there will always be a hundred religious people to tell you what God is gonna do and not gonna do with your life. And I just wanna encourage you to not listen to any of them. 
If God prompts you, you need to move and don't let anybody tell you who God is gonna use, what God is gonna redeem in your life, what God can bring back to life that has seemed like it's dead for a long time because there's constantly gonna be people that says, this is the box that God fits in, this is who God uses, this is what, is gonna, this is what God is gonna do in your life and sometimes it is the antithesis of what God is calling you to do and the more you listen to those voices, the more that you will listen or the more that you will ignore Jesus Jesus and what he's prompting you to do. So I just want to encourage you. If God's calling you to take a step of faith, if God has challenged you, I want to use that in your life. If God's calling you to move despite your dysfunction, do not let anybody tell you that God can't. Amen. And so his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue, which is not just they couldn't worship. He couldn't work. If you were put out of the synagogue, you were put on the outside of society. In verse 23, that is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. And the second time they summoned the man who had been blind, give glory to God by telling the truth. And then they said, we, they're so sure, we know this man is a sinner. They're like, there has to be a better explanation because we're not buying it. And I just wanna tell you, there are things that you will never discover about God because they're not intuitive unless Jesus. There are, there are conclusions that you will never come to and you can spend your entire life looking at everything around you and miss it if the epicenter is not Jesus. Amen. And so verse 25, you replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, this is so huge. I was blind, but now I can see. And this is really important. I have such a heart for so many of you that tune in, that investigating, you're not sure what you believe. You walked away from the church a long time ago in person and via our radio, digital campuses, podcast. And I just wanna tell you this. Some of you are so confused for good reason because we've, we've done this to you. But you have this idea that you can't believe anything because you don't believe everything. And I love the statement from this guy because think about how much theology he has. None doesn't have a Bible, hasn't had a chance to read it yet. There is no completed Bible. There's just scraps of the Torah. And he's like, I don't know. I can't explain. I'm not sure exactly who he is. I don't know all the information. I, I don't know any theology. I haven't even read the Torah. I, I, I don't know a lot. I can't answer all of your questions, but here's what I know. The undeniable for me trumps the unexplainable. And the undeniable is I couldn't see and now I can see. And the undeniable is bigger than whatever I can't explain. So I can't answer all of your question, but here's what I know. I couldn't see and I was blind. And now I can see. And so I'm gonna believe something even though I don't have all of the information to believe everything. And then he asked him, what did he do? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then I think at some, this boy like gets to this place where he's like, okay, the only explanation can be that you guys are so amazed by this miracle that you want to become one of his disciples too. I know, it's amazing, it's legit, so I can get why you're curious. So he says to them, do you want to become his disciples too? In the verse 28, they hurled insults at him and said, you're this fellow's disciple, we're disciples of Moses. Verse 29, because we know we are so sure that God spoke to Moses, but after this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, how, now, this, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. 
Verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners. Pause, another bit of terrible theology. Nobody in this story gets God right, by the way. Nobody. And then he keeps going, and he listens to the godly person who does his will. Uh, Wrong again. Nobody knows what they're talking about. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a a man born blind in verse 33. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And so I think the boy's just like, okay, listen, again, I understand you guys don't know everything. I don't know everything. I understand it's confusing that there's no kind of baseline for this. We've never experienced anything like this, but I just, maybe you should just consider for a second that God is bigger than you think. And that God is moving outside of your box and that God extends mercy to people that you would think he would never extend mercy to. Maybe it goes beyond your theology. And so verse 34, to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. Meaning, this is what religious people do. There's no need for mercy because you just got what you deserved. How dare you lecture us, talking to this kid. And they threw him out of the synagogue, the epicenter of some of God's greatest work and activity, and they threw it out because they knew God and they knew what God was gonna do. Can I just say this real quick and I'll start to ramp this down. A couple of things that you learn from this. God always extends mercy in spite of bad theology. And that's really important because I love you and you and, but there's a lot of us that end up with some really bad theology sometimes. And we're walking through difficult circumstances and we start to create a God in our own image and attribute things to God that are the furthest thing than what Jesus actually revealed. And what I love about this is that God is always going to pursue in spite of your bad ideas and misunderstandings of who God is. And here's what you need to know. Every religious system always puts a governor on God's mercy. Every religious system always puts a cap on God's mercy. There's always a group of people who are on the outside of whatever it is, and Jesus shows up to make it clear that my mercy goes beyond any theological system. Like, I don't care what your theology says, my mercy is bigger than that. In fact, Jesus taught this, that mercy should inform our theology, which means this, when your theology becomes an obstacle to mercy, you should adjust your theology. Not because you're creating a a theology to be what you want it to be or trying to create a God that is in the image of what you want God to be. It's just a telltale sign that you've already done that. And if your theology is getting in the way of mercy, you need to adjust your theology because if your belief system allows you to mistreat or ignore other people, you are guilty of misbelieving and misbehaving. Come on, here's the reality. Like this is the message of Jesus, this is why he came. That every single individual that you are eyeball to eyeball with reminds God of himself because they're made in the image of God. And don't move past this too quickly. Your worst enemy is as valuable to God as you are. 
Every single individual that you are face to face with is somebody for whom Christ died for. And so it's why Jesus in his ministry is going, no other religion comes up with this. Caesar's not gonna tell you this. The Greek gods aren't gonna inform you of this. You will not come to this by looking at nature. You need somebody to show up, communicate it and demonstrate it. Jesus is like, I am that guy. I want you to view the world and view people differently. That's what I came to do. So I want you to pray for your enemies. And we're like, I don't even pray for my friends a lot of times. I, sometimes I forget to pray for my family. Like, and she's like, no, I know. But I want you to pray for your enemies because here's why. Every time you do that, it is a reminder that the mercy of your heavenly father extends further than you're comfortable with. Amen. And it's bigger than your theological system. And it goes beyond maybe the box that you had created for him. His mercy is inexhaustible. Come on, if every Jesus follower took Jesus seriously around that, can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine what would happen as people got close to us to go, we, what they believe is so weird and off the rails, but there is no group of people who are more merciful than this group of people. If your view of God allows you to withdraw mercy from anybody, your view of God is incorrect. And then one more thing at the end of this whole story that I think is so powerful that you learn about the Father from Jesus is that God takes personal interest in individual people. Like again, the question, whether theologically you know it or not, is often like, okay, I I know, but no, for real? Like, okay, God maybe knows my name, but how personal is it? How involved is he in this? Because, I mean, to be real honest, there's certain moments that you walk through, there's years that you walk through, there's seasons that you walk through, and I don't care how much you know, there's that thing in the back of your mind of like, how involved is he really? really? Like, what, like, what is he doing in this really? And do you know how Jesus healed people as he walked the earth? Or, or do you know who Jesus healed? Over and over again, just just look at the gospels and every time you see crowds, it was people that Jesus was with and he healed them one by one by one. Like, do you think Jesus could just showed up to a crowd and go, I'm just declaring all of you healed? Yeah. In fact, there's one time he's with the centurion and the centurion who oversees a bunch of people as part of the Roman military says, hey, Jesus, I know that you're a man who's in authority and you have people under you that do whatever you say. In fact, I believe that sickness does what you say. I'm also a man in authority, which means I know my son is hurting. He's about to die. He's a while from here. I know that you could just say the word and heal him remotely. It's all you have to do. You just declare it, it's gonna happen. Jesus never did that. Jesus never just mass healed the crowds because everywhere Jesus went, it was personal. Look at the book of Mark over and over again. You see the words crowd where people are moving up against Jesus. They're desperate. There's no self-awareness because when you're desperate, there's no self-awareness. And over and over again, Jesus would heal individual people in the midst of their desperation because it was this revealing factor that every individual matters to Jesus because every individual matters to your heavenly father. And so at the end of the story in John 9, 35, I say all that to say this, Jesus heard that they had thrown this dude out. And when he found him, despite his bad bad theology, despite his lack of information, he got pushed out and Jesus went and found him. Like Jesus ran him down like a lost sheep like a lost coin, like a lost son. And I've said this before, but 
if you show up today, or you're listening today, and you feel like if Jesus were to physically like perform what he did in the Christmas story and come in flesh like today that he'd go and hang out with all the religious people. Nothing could be further from the truth. And Jesus showed that all throughout his life. If he showed up today and you're the person that is outside of the God box that the religious leaders have created and you feel too far gone from the extension of God's mercy, it would be Jesus who showed up today and would do anything in his power to pursue you, to run you down and to find you. And so he said, Jesus, to this guy, do you believe in the son of man? I got to imagine this guy's thinking, that voice sounds really familiar. Who is he, sir? The man asked, because I don't know much. I, I, there's a lot of questions that I have, but tell me, because I'm at this place already. I don't have to know everything to believe something. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him, and in fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, earlier in the story, you are just a dude. You are just a man. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And from that one interaction, you get a couple things. God always displays his power in our pain. And I know for some of you that changes nothing. It's not emotionally satisfying, but I, here's what you see throughout the scripture. If you will invite God into your suffering, God will move through it. And it may not be what you're expecting and it may not be your, what you want and you would never choose it, but God has promised to use it. And I'm just telling you, if you would get to the place of rather than walking away, which would be so easy, you go, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing. And honestly, I'm a little bit upset and God can handle that. But I know you're with me and I know you're good. And so I'm inviting you into my pain because this may be the epicenter of your greatest activity in my life and I don't wanna miss it. And the second thing is God always extends mercy in spite of bad theology. And I just wanna say this to some of you because you need to hear this and this literally is gonna feel like a word from God right now and it's not me, but I just want you to hear this. If you think that you are outside of God's mercy, you are wrong. I came to seek and to save the lost. And the third thing, God takes personal interest in individual people. So it's why, as Paul writes in Galatians, when, when everything was just right, when God had everything just the way he wanted it, Luke records it in Luke 2, 11, a savior came and today in the town of David, a personal savior has been born to you. And he is the Messiah, the Lord. So listen, you can see and find God everywhere and anywhere. But if you really wanna know who God is, what God thinks, how God feels about you, if you look past Jesus, why this season is important, you will miss him. And if you look in another direction, you will miss him. And what you need to know as we close is that you have a heavenly father who wants to be known, just like any good father wants to be known. And it starts and it stops with one person and that one person is Jesus. And you will find in Jesus what you're not gonna be able to discover in nature, 
that you will not be able to deduce from your circumstances, that you will not get from your religious tradition, and you are not gonna be able to discover it from, from within. But Jesus says, listen, I've come to communicate and to demonstrate who God is, and now I'm asking you, follow me. Would you guys pray with me online? Would you pray with me right now? Jesus, I thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for what you came to do. And Lord, I pray that for some of us, you move us beyond the surface level. Like we can maybe come up with a couple verses and we've got an answer, but there is so much more to it in terms of the personal nature of what you came to communicate and demonstrate that moves us all differently. But I know some of us are in circumstances right now and everything around us is shouting lies about who you are and about what you wanna do. And I pray that this would be the moment that you would clarify through the person of Jesus, who you are, what you think about us, what you're inviting us into, how you respond when we move in your direction, and even what you're doing right now in the midst of what may be really difficult circumstances. And it may not change anything in terms of what physically is happening in our life right now, but I pray that for many of us, even over these couple of weeks, that we would be moved in a direction to know you in a way that we've never known you before. And I pray this in the incredible name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.